To That's Not Quite All Folks, a Lane Tunes podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hanlon, joined by... And I'm Jordan, and uh, we, we've, we've had a good streak of, of, of interesting Hollywood-related ap- episodes as we've been going on. We had our really good um, Hollywood original one a while ago, where we covered stuff like Hollywood Steps Out and uh, Slick Hair. And we figured that one went so well that we're doing a sequel, to quote uh, uh, Muppets Most Wanted. Yes. Um, though I don't know who requested it, uh, no one was in our ads going, guys, you got to do another Hollywood episode. But you know what? Warner Brothers have, has done so many of these yeah. that they warrant a, uh, a sequel episode. Yeah, definitely. So the three we will be looking at today, um, they kind of have a theme a bit, <laughs> yes. besides the being in Hollywood. It's um, Daffy Duck in Hollywood from 1938, the film fan, and Hollywood Daffy, which was in 1946. Now, I say that because <laughs> the idea that a significant amount of time after Daffy Duck in Hollywood, they went, we should do another one where Daffy Duck is in Hollywood, but we can't call it Daffy Duck in Hollywood. How about this? Just Hollywood Daffy. Yes. There we go. Yes, let's make it very clear that Hollywood Daffy and Daffy Duck in Hollywood are two separate <laughs> cartoons. They're not the same cartoon. They're, they're, they're made like eight years apart. Um, <laughs> they just happen to have similar names. Because uh, the naming yes. committee at uh, at Warner Brothers didn't have a lot of ideas at the know. time. So the first one we're covering is Daffy Duck in Hollywood. It came out on December 12th, 1938. In terms of what happened that day, comedian George Burns pleaded guilty in a New York federal courtroom to charges of smuggling jewelry. Um, his sentencing was deferred until January... But Burns faced a, ma- a maximum of 18 years in prison and fines up to $45,000. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Uh, George Burns, the, uh, the lovely old man of, of Vaudeville. He lived so long that he lived to see television and film and was very successful in those fields. Um... Yeah, in 1938, he just uh, stole things. Some jewelry. Just stole shit. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Actually, I just want to make it clear. He has an Oscar. He won an Oscar. Yes. He didn't steal someone else's Oscar. He, 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 he was given the role of God in, in the Oh God movies. He didn't steal it from another old actor. No. John Denver might have stolen it, but not him. And he stole the plane as well. Anyway, uh... <laughs> Horrible. I apologize. Why? What did John Denver ever, ever do to you? Um, uh, um, most of his music. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't like. I don't dislike him that much. He's he's written some good songs. I think. Um, uh, Annie's song, I think, is the one by him. What am I doing? All right. This was directed by Tex Avery. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember him? Now, uh, Red uh, Dave. Dave um, Monahan. Um, it's been a while since we looked at a Fred Avery short. Hasn't and it? the little like... bear behind. Uh, so, uh, funny enough, this is also the last Dr. Duck cartoon that Tex Avery did. Oh, so, okay. The guy that essentially like created the character, you know, he created the goofy persona. Oh, I'm only done after a couple of them. Ah, uh, yes. All right. So... We open up at Wonder Studios mm. with the caption, if it's a good picture, it's a wonder. Wonder Studios, <laughs> as in I wonder what happened to the one Um <laughs> I do that just for uh, Mark. No one else. Yeah. Yay. 
Um, also, with that tagline, man, that was um, that was 1938. It still holds up incredibly well, especially at Warner Brothers. <laughs> uh huh. Um, so we go into this uh, studio, and the person who owns it is called I Am Stupendous. Yes, and I like Mel's voice for this guy. It's a good voice, nice, strong. So uh, the. Door, the door opens, and of course it's Daffy Duck, and it's crazy Daffy yeah. Duck. And they're saying, do they need a duck actor? And then it's like, no! And then I Am Stupendous looks up at camera and goes, you know, that duck's screwy. And of course, the phone rings, and it's yeah. Daffy. He's like, you're correct! Absolutely correct! Some very easy screwy Daffy Duck jokes. Stupendous just calls uh, the director Von Hamburger. Yeah. Oh, and, um... He is a uh, he's a pig director. Mm-hmm. He's a Porky Pig's great great uncle or something. I don't know. This character did not work for me because there's one joke behind this character, and it's just very long drawn out rolled R's, and it, yep. it's a very easy joke they keep hitting over and over and over again, and it's not a great character for me. So this uh, the producer just talks to the director like, listen. You have to give me your movie by the end of today. Mm-hmm. And the director's like, I'll rush it right away. Which, a Warner Brothers film rushing to meet a deadline? Certainly only a 1930s issue. <laughs> sure. So, we transition into the, uh, the film studio. And, of course, he is surrounded by yes men. You know, he's asking, uh, hey, um... Is it, can someone please light my cigarette? And then everyone rushes in to light up his cigarette, which fails because he can't puff it. So he takes a lighter out himself and lights it up. We kill some time with this bit. <laughs> it it goes on. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that one of the um, hamburgers' yes men is voiced by Ted Pierce. It's very clearly his voice. Yeah. So of course, that Daffy Duck shows up at, at this record at this uh, studio. And, you know, the gentleman up, is sound okay? Sounds fine. Of course, Daffy just whistles into it. So, uh, that sound producer's gonna have, uh, tendinitis for years. Oh. Thanks, Daffy. <laughs> um, and then, you know, they're asking, like, okay, how about the lights? And I, I do like this detail of, um, of, um, as soon as I says, uh, lights. The um, because Daffy screwed a hose into the yeah. fixture, so as soon as the lights go on, the the stage gets spilled out with uh, water. By the way, did you cover the the joke? Uh, I think there was one before he starts doing all these little. little I gags. skipped over it back. Then. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yes. there's a great joke here where um, Daffy uh, whips around in the air and writes out the um, the name. I think with with the, is it with the cigarette smoke or something. Yes, yeah. It's, it's yeah, with the cigarette smoke, he writes in the air, uh, Warner Brothers, and he basically just says, just give my bosses a plug, I've got an option coming up, which is a very clever, clever fourth wall gag. Yes. So, Warner Brothers exists, but also the parody studio that's in this short also exists. They didn't think it through. Yeah, no. Um, by the way, it is around this, um, this point in the short that I noticed something, that... On a story basis, he's torturing the director and sabotaging the film to get back at the producer who kicked him out. But at the end of the picture, spoilers, by the way, um, the producer is incredibly satisfied with the movie made. Yeah. Hires Daffy as a director and everything. So Hmm. he's really messing, Daffy's messing with this director who hasn't done anything to Daffy. You know? Yeah. Like, you think it would be Daffy messes with the producer. And I can see from perspective, it's like, oh, but, like, this is a big movie. So Daffy sabotages it. Okay, fine. But it's not sabotaged at the end. No. So. It's it's before the real formula of these Daffy Duck cartoons, or even any of these character-based Looney Tunes, was really set in stone. And they thought, I think, or at least Tex Avery thought that just having Daffy be zany in an environment without a real reason would be enough. 
and it only works so much. I mean, in the other Daffy cartoon that we cover in this, there's at least a reason for Daffy to get back yeah. at a sort of um, authoritarian character. Here, he's just sort of being himself, and they just have to show to sort of shrug and either let him or stop him. Yeah. So, anyway, so there's jet water going everywhere, and then the director says, you know, oh, sh- check the camera, and Daffy replaces oh, the film of the film with bullets. I love that. Of course, that. there's action, and of course, the camera guy is, like, shooting out bullets, which, uh, you're gonna hate me. Huh. Who would imagine a time in a film set where real ammunition is shot during a film shoot? Oh. Ah. Ha, ha, ha. You're going to get a, a call from the Lee family in a bit. Uh, or you're going to get a samurai sword uh, sent to you through the mail. Uh, I, I'm i not associated with him. I, I No, no. I, no. I, I, I uh, respect uh, Bruce and Brandon uh, and all of the Lees. I, I, and as do I. Just saying. Just. I've never even seen The Crow. I saw the video they did on how they continue to make the crow after the. Oh, incident. okay, yeah, that's, that's at least interesting. Because yeah. it's, it's very hard to make a movie when your lead actor just got shot at your own negligence. Um, but no, I mean they—they they, <laughs> the, the director of Knowing did something right in that respect, uh, which is a rare uh, phrase. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so of course the. The director is like upset. He's like, this isn't a gangster picture. I love that line. So Hamish is crying. And then Daffy's like, listen, I'm sorry. Here's a gift. I'll stop being screwy. Of course, he op- the director opens the box and it's just Daffy again. <laughs> just yeah. pinches his nose and runs it- off through like crazy. Avery likes hitting the beat that he hit a lot in Orky's Duck Hunt where Daffy would come out of nowhere and bite Porky on the nose. And he hits this a lot in this cartoon. So then the director is finally shooting a scene for his movie. And what the movie is, it's like a wartime drama. It's essentially like a Gone with the Wind-esque sort of thing. But with chickens. Yeah, so they're chickens and they're So the title of that would be Black Cock Down. Put in the crickets. <laughs> um, I meant the chicken. Sure you did. I, I swear to God, this is the one time I haven't meant to do a, an innuendo joke. Sure. Anyways, so the producers in this movie... Are supposed yeah. to be uh, Joseph von Sternberg and Catherine Hepburn. Oh, they're, they're, okay, von Sternberg. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, those are the uh, the parodies. I knew it was him. I knew it was Hepburn though. I know because you know the yeah. really I do is something they do a lot. In yeah. the, and also, yes. is that is that Sarah Burner doing the Hepburn part? Well, probably. I mean, it, it is like back in the 30s. Uh, she yes, shows up in yes, the later one that we're covering today. So I just wanted to make sure. Yes, that it, was it her is. As well. Yes. Okay. It, cool. It, it Sarah Burner, one of the best um, uh, voice actors for hire in this era. Before we would get, you know, be Benadere at June 4 and Stan Freeberg. So. So, they're doing this love scene, and then Daddy just goes right in for it and kisses the actress. And then, and then they're shocked, and Daffy's like, I'm gonna do that again! And then just jumps up and kisses her again, which, uh, Daffy kissing an actress without consent twice on a film set. And Pepe Le Pew's the one we're... <laughs> ah, Daffy gets that easy. He's the one you least suspect. So, uh, oh, I thought it's of another one. The one. I, I, oh, I thought oh, of oh, another oh. one. Saving Private oh. Rye Hen. <laughs> that one's appropriate. And it can't be something you search on Pornhub, so... No? <laughs> uh... So the director is just aggravated by Daffy, and then yes. it turns out it's 12 o'clock, which is mm. lunchtime, and he demands turkey with all the trimmings, mm. and I can't explain it, but I just love the animation of the chef walking into the studio 
puts the uh, thing of turkey up and going, ah, to the food. I don't know why I like that, but I do. So it's a good guy. He goes to the director, puts it down, and of course, Daffy is now where the turkey yeah. was. So he had a bird with a bird. And of course, honks his nose, Daffy woohoos away, and then Daffy finds his way to the film library. Yes. And I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I'm gonna cut up my own film. Yeah. And he gang film rules, and we see um, Robin Hood and uh, Boy Meets Girl briefly mm-hmm. in the. Uh, so that's nice. Also, yeah. as a generation who grew up with this advertising campaign, uh, Daffy opening the film vault clip is something that would be used aggressively in the Gold Collection advertising. Yes. Drink. <laughs> Just look at all the stuff we're putting on DVD. It's like, yeah, yeah that's impressive. Oh, you restored it. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd have to use it in every single release, though? It's no. Like, it was like every single Gold Collection release. It's like, that big up in the mold clip. Anyways. So the director goes to... Um, the producer and says, okay, here you go. It's done. And of course, Daffy just switches the reels. Yeah. And of course, like, okay, here it is. You know, goes to the projection booth. Here you go. And this is where we get the... It's pretty insane, not gonna lie. It's, um... So Daffy just cuts together a series of random clips. And but first of all, the film is called Gold is Where You Find It. Right. Sure. And pretty much what this sequence is, it's a, uh, I, I guess it's a 1938 YouTube poop video. Uh, I guess that's what it is. It's a mix of newsreels that's been dubbed over. Yeah. It's, it's Bozo dubbed over. We, we dubbed over yes. Bozo. Yeah. Bo- yes. who's, who's doing it? Bozo is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, um, there's yeah, yeah, there's just scenes of like a lion roaring and just telling over like films are the entertainment of da, 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 da. Um, it, it seems like it's Avery trying to do another type of parody while in the middle of this thing that he's trying to do, and the pieces don't really fit together because he. That could have been an entire cartoon of him just sort of redubbing newsreel clips and making fun of that. But instead he shoved it in here and it's a completely different kind of humor um, than um, than the rest of the cart. I, I just thought of another one. Bridge on the River Quack. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, this cartoon. Sorry, go on, Mark. I will say that um, the, the sequence that I did actually like is uh, the aircraft sequence. Of oh, God, off, I love and that. It goes into the, and then rewinds. Like, it's all, that really reminded me of, like, YouTube tomfoolery, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's Tex Avery saying, okay, let's keep slamming the plane back into the hangar over and over again. That's, that's pure Tex Avery. Yeah. And there is a cut of, uh, of a, of a, uh, wrestling match and first of all I love how it's, it's like Madison Round Garden and it's Mel Blank doing a generic wrestling anchor voice and the joke being that the uh, the wrestler uh, commenter is like talking about how hostile the match is but the footage it's just them standing yeah that's good I like that <laughs> and then um, the, the last um, last bit is it takes place in Atlantic City Hey, thank you. percent. I think it was like it, it was it was Atlanta City. They changed the name of. Yes, yes, Atlanta City. And it's just you know, oh, it's a it's a beauty contest. Look at all these hot babes, and the winner is Fat Lady Joke. Yeah, Daffy. come on, come on, Daffy. So the sequence ends mercifully. Yes, and this is where we get a great quote that I wish I could have put more in, into my life. Yeah. Like, like okay, okay, okay. Well, like, imagine this: you're sitting in a nice restaurant. A waiter, because you just had a very nice meal. The waiter comes up to you and says, "What do you think of the fish?" 
And I would say... Amazing, marvelous, stupendous, colossal, tremendous, gigantic, astounding, unbelievable, spectacular, phenomenal. And it's, it's good, good, too. You know, yeah, like, like if, if we were to see a movie and some jackhole were to ask me, hey, what'd you think of the movie? I could say... Amazing, marvelous, stupendous, colossal, tremendous, gigantic, astounding, unbelievable, spectacular, phenomenal. And it's good too. It's, it's applicable for a lot of things. It really it's a good is. line too. It's it's well delivered by Mel. Yeah. Let's be very clear. So, the director passes out because like he thought his career was finished, and it turns out it's like, okay. So now Daffy Duck is a director. Yeah, I don't know how, but yeah, now he is. This wasn't what Daffy was asking for. He wanted to be an actor, not a director. Yeah. But anyways. Daffy's a director. He's surrounded by the same yes men because yes men stick together. And yeah. of course, he asks for his lunch. And okay, it's Ryu's animation of the chef walking in, but it's still funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And of course, opens the tin, and it's the pig director who's now gone crazy. And just jumps out of the uh, studio. And that's where we uh, right. end it. So, yeah. Hmm. You know, we, we haven't seen many wacky Daffy shorts on this show. We, we usually no. focus to, like, Daffy, like, like, like Jones-era Daffy, like, envious Daffy, or, uh, or like, ego-driven. So, don't see many wacky Daffy shorts. So, that being hmm. said, this is all right. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's right. I, I, I like the gag work here. Even if it was kind of easy, high Hollywood's dumb jokes, you know, I actually did really, really like the ending. <laughs> like, it's just... Me either. What? Me either. No, no, I did like the ending. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. I did. And, uh, yeah, it's a lovely mashup of complete tomfoolery. Uh... I mean, it, it it just just had a lot of pieces that didn't really fit together for me. Like it it, it kind of meandered formlessly with concepts and characters I didn't love, and it turned halfway through into a, a film strip talking over cartoon. And it felt like Avery was trying to do a lot in a in eight minutes with this one when he could have just done separate cartoons for a lot of these concepts. Um, as a Daffy Duck cartoon, it's fine, especially as an early Daffy Duck cartoon. Uh, as a as a Hollywood parody kind of thing, it could have used a bit more of a refinement. Um, yeah, it's, it's I, I don't love this one. It's not great, in my opinion. All right. Well, I'm going to give it a, a three out of five endings. I'm giving it a two point five. Okay. All right. Oh, I, I just thought of another one. Wings. I, I like it. But it's taken. <laughs> Alright. So, uh, the next one we're talking about. Um, this is another Hollywood-themed one, but instead of being rallied around Daffy Duck, unlike the other ones in this cartoon, this one would be centered around his usual comedy partner, Porky Pig. Some interesting stuff with this one, so we'll get right in. This is called The Film Fan. It is, um, it debuted on December 16, 1939. Born on this day, and this is a very artsy film school one, uh, Liv Ullman, who is one of uh, Ingmar Bergman's muses, honestly, uh, was in a ton of his films, like Cries and Whispers, Persona. She was in scenes from a marriage. Just a lot of very classic um, Ingmar Bergman films. Very striking uh, screen presence. Um, so yeah, she was born on that day, and also in theaters that day uh, was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the classic Jimmy Stewart, Frank Capra joint venture. So, solid stuff. Uh, the film fan was directed by Bob Clampett, no real detail on who wrote it. Uh, I should point out here that um, the film fan is a loose reimagining of 1937's first Freeling film, She Was an Acrobat's Daughter. And that was the one I was more familiar with going into this cartoon. Because they're both set in a movie theater. They both have fun with newsreels and the, the show before the movie. And they both deal with a lot of concepts like that. But the film fan is different. 
and arguably a little better, which I'm going to get into. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's an unpopular okay. opinion, but yeah. a film fan, I think, is a bit more focused. But, okay. So this has an amazing opening gag. We see the marquee of the theater, and it reads, The Broken Leg, Surrounded by a Large Cast. <laughs> I love it. And then the other bit of the marquee, we change our shorts every day. So already, Clampett is outdoing Fred Avery for me. Yeah. Just with his Also, it's, it's cool inside, 103 degrees. Yes, exactly. Which, which that was a very, um, that was a very uh, big thing about uh, movie theaters and air conditioning technology is that movie theaters were one of the first ones to have air conditioning. So that right. legitimately was an advertising <clears throat> point to, for movie theaters around this yeah. time. Yeah, you get your own air. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, as we sort of see, and the whole concept is that you know. It's, it's a, you know, kids get free admission on this particular day at the movie theater. And we see this passing, because, you know, all, like this one, and, uh, and also like a series act Brad's daughter, uh, all the characters in this one are animals, you know, dogs, pigs, so on and so forth, uh, but predominantly dogs. And we see this sort of passing rich person, this sort of a dog person, that is carrying a regular dog on a leash. What are we to make of this? Is this goofy huh. Pluto logic again? Like one is allowed to be like a personification kind of deal, and the other one is still a dumb dog. Like, is, is what? What are we saying? What are we inferring? And in what Clamp isn't saying with this? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know either. Anyway, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Cartoons, but, man. I don't know. <laughs> this does have a good gag where uh, this dog sees a poster for a movie about big trees, and that's what gets him. Yeah. He wants to see because he loves trees. Yeah. That's gr that's which, a great translation joke involving which, dogs. Uh, which, uh, to be fair, I think for a, a lot of us as children, the thing that would get us to see a movie is like just one thing or we're into. Like, uh, uh, I mean, we just referenced it. I'm pretty sure a lot of kids, like, they had no idea Spider-Man movie was coming in the early 2000s, just saw a poster of Spider-Man and immediately went, I want to see that. Oh, yeah, and everybody so, did. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it made so much money. Yes. Um, also, um, just, just one thing. There's a sign by the by the, uh, the marquee. It says, um, it, it, it's actually advertising Looney Tune cartoons. Oh, yeah. It just says... Um, Looney Tunes, the supreme of the world. Yes. <laughs> that sounds about Which, right in this area. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so we, we meet Porky, and this Porky is very much in tune with how he's best remembered. An eager, happy young kid who is a little bit um, absent-minded at times, but, you know, stands for the right things. And his whole arc in this is that he's going to the movies when he really should be going to the store and coming home right away with bread and milk and such. And he's repeating what his mom told him absent-mindedly, you know, as he's running, as he's passing the movie theater to the point where he sifts in the sign um, into what he's saying. You know, you know, yeah, loaf of bread, bottle of milk, uh, kids admitted free. Loaf of bread, kids admitted free. So <laughs> yes. it, it's it's a good gag. And I love when um, he notices this. One of the posters is Oz of a Wizard. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Not the only reference in this 1939 movie to a Victor Fleming film. Huh. Um, he did two that year. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so Porky, you know, agrees. All right, I'm going in. And, you know, and Porky swings the person on the end of the row's leg yes. when he gets to his seats like a door. I, so I love that. I like that. I love that. And now that we're in the theater with Porky, we get to do some newsreel jokes. And the newsreel is done by Cold Promise, who's supposed to be Lowell Thomas. Um, yes. in, in She Was an Acrobat's Daughter, this exact same character is here, only he's called Dole Promise. So you change a letter, Bob, and you're not stealing. <laughs> uh, and a lot also, of these jokes... Sorry, go. Also, it's a Looney Tone news. Oh, Looney Tone, yeah. Uh, Very cool. Uh, a lot of the jokes in this newsreel... Um, section of this cartoon would inspire Carlin Mockery, I believe, as we go. Because these are all very much news puns that he would want to do, that he would end up doing in uh, his weird newscaster stand-ups. And so, like, like the, the first one is, scientists discover that short-tempered doctors always lose their patients. 
It's great. <laughs> Amazing. And we get a section here where we're interviewing a scientist about um, what germs look like in the human bloodstream. And it's very clever because it, it, you, you go through a microscope and it's just kids at the pool inside the blood and the ship called the SS Malaria comes around. Uh, I like that. that was That's good. a great gag. Very clever applications. Yes. Also, it's um, uh, Professor, uh, Professor Widebottom. Professor, is, Professor um, Widebottom, is, who also is another yup, yup, yup uh, character. Because we can't go one week without one. I was thinking, like, actually, I actually think he sounded a bit more like a Goofy, actually. A little. That's but definitely it's the subversion of Oath as a scientist, but he's actually kind of an idiot, isn't he? So, <laughs> and then the next one, you know, the baker never spends a penny as long as he no longer needs the dough. Yeah, these are proto-Colin gags. These are knee slappers of the, the, the highest caliber. This is a, a nice gag here where the uh, the money crane um, that the, the sort of penny pincher guy, because he's, he's, you know, he, he has the little nickel on a string trying to save money that way. And the, 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 the crane comes around and grabs him, dumps out all the money he's been um, cheaply keeping on, and then just throws him uh, back out on the ground. That was clever. Yes, that's very good. A very nice fuck the rich joke. We support those. Yes. Um, and then, as this is 1939, coming attractions make fun of Gone with the Breeze and a Clark, a Clark Gable film. Oh. All right. And here we get the the masked marble cereal, um, which yes. is fun. And yes, I, it's called I, the masked marvel. Finally, a marvel film. My God, they've been making marvel films forever, haven't they? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, there's some good gags here with with you know the horse sort of uh, you know traveling all the hills and him just sort of staying the same level um, in the sky. And I, I love the little bit of them at a fork in the road where he tells the horse to take the high road and, and, and him take the um, the other one. And they literally start singing, I'll take the high road, you'll take... It's a, it's a goofy gag, you know. And here we see the, the person sitting next to Porky. Is this Daffy Duck? No, it's just All a right. A Daffy-esque duck kid character takes a slingshot towards the horse in the ass. Because sure. Um, and I should also point out that earlier in this, there was some, some easy gags with um, Porky trying to find a good seat and is either too far from the um, from the screen or oh, yes. directly under the screen. And they have the, almost the exact same jokes in uh, She Was an Acrobat's Daughter. Only the one where he's to the exact right of the screen in She Was an Acrobat's Daughter um, is Hitler. Hitler. It's just Hitler walking around. So point a film fan for having less Nazis in it. Yes, film fan, no Hitler. <laughs> and it didn't predict Hiroshima either. Um, <laughs> um, and the other difference between She Was an Acrobat's Daughter and Film Fan is Film Fan has a whole theater full of kids, and Acrobat's Daughter has mostly adults, and it's pretty varied. But the other thing is that the Film Fan is less of a parody of the movie-going experience and more of a parody of movie-goers. The film fan is more about what it takes to get people in seats, what film-goers are like, what they're running around and thinking as they're in the theater. Whereas She Was an Acrobat's Daughter is more about the newsreel and the movie theater milieu and what how on the screen dictates what the people in the audience are thinking. It's more about the actual showing and less about the people that are going to see it. And I actually like that it's about, you know, moviegoers and the film fan. And I like this. And I especially really like the ending. Because the whole thing is that, you know, Porky's away from his mom. He didn't come back with the milk and the bread. And so Porky's mom calls the theater, calls the usher, says, hey, my kid's still there. And the usher's like, all right, I'll take care of it. And he goes up to the front of the theater and he says, okay, if there was a little boy in here sent to the store by your mother, you, need, you better get home right away. And then everyone, every kid in the everyone theater leaves. leaves. That's great. That's the, th good. The, the thesis statement that the Clampett has there is that the people going to the movies, the kids going to the movies, are like, you know, breaking rules in going to the movies. You know, they're not supposed to be there and they should relish that. They should be in tune with the fact that, you know, oh, we're rule breakers. We shouldn't be going to movies and that's why we're going to movies. And so it's a very cool, a very funny ending, but also it's a very cool statement that he's making. So, all right. 
The film fan is a little disorganized in the middle when it's uh, focusing more on the newsreel stuff, but there is some ace gag work in this one, some pretty good satirical concepts, and Bob Clampett has a real handle on what this needs to be and how it needs to be a character piece about the moviegoer rather than just making fun of just the movie stuff, which is what Frizz Freeling did with She Was an Acrobat's Daughter. So this means more to me because it has more of a so what. Um, I think that She Was an Acrobat's Daughter might be the more classic cartoon because of what it does. And also She Was an Acrobat's Daughter is in color and this one's in black and white. But this one means more to me and I think I like it a little better than that one. I don't know how you feel. Hmm. Um, I like the pacing of this one. It's, um, it's a very fast seven minutes of that. Um, yeah. I think the jokes were okay. Uh, I don't think they were as punchy as Acrobat's Daughter jokes. And, um, yeah, I definitely didn't like this as much as you did. We're not in sync so far. No, no, we're not. Um, I'm giving this a four out of five because I'm I'm defying all observation. I'm giving this a, a three out of five. Okay, fine. You're at two threes so far. Will the next one also be a three? Let's find out. Yes. And also, to just a a very quick thing, because um, like if we sound like I'm like in love with Acrobat's daughter, I'm not because yeah, um because like I will say the movie bent and film fan. Is a lot more entertaining, yes, than what's in Acrobat's Daughter because Acrobat's Daughter it's well like a Betty Davis, um, it's Betty Davis and some stuttering British guy, and it's yeah. supposed it's boring for a reason. So yeah, yep. All right, you know what would have actually you know what would have made that Acrobat's uh, Daughter movie better? What? If, Daffy. No, if uh, Bobby De Niro was in it. <laughs> no, Bobby! <laughs> okay, let's explain that finally. Yes! Uh. So here's here's exactly how this went down. We are referring to uh. a movie with, with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes called The Fan. Uh, it's from the yes. 90s. It's about a baseball player and a deranged fan. And um, I actually... There, there was a joke in a Mystery Science Theater episode, which is what really turned me on to this movie, where... It's it's the it's the werewolf episode, which is one of the best ones, and it's just yeah. this it's this it's this Flagstaff production that just there's lots of pictures of the there's lots of shots of the ceiling fan, and you just hear them riffing on it, and then at the upteenth one you just hear Bill Corbett go, or it might be Mike Nelson, one of them go. De Niro, Snipes, the fan. Now come on. <laughs> and I think I said that to Mark once, and Mark, I think you watched the movie not knowing about the Mystery Science Theater gag. And you were yeah. like, so I saw the fan. It was pretty good. And I'm like, no, I meant, <laughs> I meant the mystery. Si-. Anyway, there's a running gag in this movie. Well, not a running gag, a running gag with us. But there's Robert De Niro says the line, uh, says the the word Bobby like millions of times in this movie. Yeah, because that's the name of Wesley Snipes's um, Bo- Barry Bonds esque character that he's playing, and. And he just yells out, "You're <laughs> And it's hilarious. It's <laughs> by the way, this is... <laughs> I don't know why it's as funny as we think it is, but it just is because it's just like because the rest of them in that clip are just like, "Yeah, Bobby, come on, Bobby, yeah, Bobby, yeah, Bobby, yo, Bobby, yeah, Bobby, come on, hey, Bobby, what do you want? Yeah." Robert De Niro, everybody. Yeah. Uh, um, also, I I really do like the fan. It, it has a um, a Jack Blacks in it. Like he he, yeah. he he has he has like a bit role in it, and like it, it, it's actually really good. Like I actually I know gets crapped on. It's it's, it's a it's, fine movie. It's it's it, it, Tony Scott's um, reputation's been vindicated in the last yeah. so ever many years. Yeah, um, so. it's he, he's honestly a very talented, uh, a very talented Scott brother. So, um, yes. you know, all right, yeah, all right. <coughs> anyway, Anyways, <laughs> the other one. So, the, the last short today, Hollywood Daffy, right? Not to be confused with Daffy Duck in Hollywood, is released on June twenty second, nineteen forty six. Yes. What happened on that day? 
And this is hilarious considering as we recorded the episode that just uh, drops was our Go West episode in which yeah. we mentioned this fella. But um, speaking at a prayer meeting in New Delhi, he Gandhi calls on the <laughs> South African government to stop hooliganism by white people. Which means they, Gandhi wanted those kids... Which, which no. means Gandhi wanted those pesky kids to get off his lawn. <laughs> you goddamn hooligans! Uh. Stop running around on my lawn! Or I'll get the mafia after you. <laughs> Gandhi fellas coming to theaters this fall. <laughs> oh, lordy. Also, actor Andrew Rubin, who was in the Police Academy films, was also okay. born on this. Yeah. I've, I've got a good one on this day. Because I also... Because I'll let, I'll let the people at home in on the process. Um, when we pick the one that, that the both of us cover together... Um, both of us actually go and, and, and look up on this day shit. And so I, I, I looked up a couple on this day things. And there was, there was an interesting one for me because I'm a baseball fan. Um, on this day, um, weird MLB owner Bill Veck purchased the Cleveland Indians. Bill Veck um, is one of those people that if you're really into baseball, you've heard of him because he does a lot of weird promotional things. Like when he was the owner of the St. Louis Browns, um, which was earlier because, you know, he owned the Browns and he owned the Indians and he owned the Chicago White Sox. And when he was the owner of the Browns, uh, he um, called up for a promotion one day a, a little person pitch hitter named Eddie Gadel. He, he played one game as a pinch hitter and he basically did it just to screw with uh, the imposing pitcher. And to just sort of like, you know, like, ah, oh, look at this. A little, he basically was turning MLB into a sideshow. Another thing he did when he was owning the Browns, I believe, is that he had MLB, actually, no, I think this was later on um, with somebody. Um, it might have been the Indians, it might have been somebody else, but he had Satchel Page, who was all time um, Negro Leagues. Um, pitching phenom and only spent a little bit of time in the majors. He had Satchel Page at age like 60 something pitch a game for his team. Like he literally brought him out in a rocking chair on the field um, and had Satchel Page, you know, still throw smoke at, at a very non NLB friendly age. So he was very good at raking him in. And on this day, he, he uh, in 46, he buys the Cleveland Indians. And in two years' time, the Cleveland Indians are MLB champions, led by player manager Lou Boudreau. That would be the last time the Cleveland Indians win a World Series. They have not won one since. They were in the World Series in 2016, but lost to, honestly, the only team with a longer World Series drought than them, the Chicago Cubs. And they've only come close. So... Um, and also, I think by the time that, or maybe if you're listening to this in the far future, the Cleveland Indians might have a different name because like the Washington football team, there's been a committee that's been um, instructed to make a new name for the Cleveland Indians because calling yes. a team the Indians is a little bit um, outdated. It's a bit racist. Um, I mean, and it's one thing to basically say like the Chiefs or the Braves because while that is uh, Native American in 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 use it's also referring to like it's it's a it's a cliche almost you know like a brave or a chief you know that can be used in other things that aren't entirely um used by indian now the tomahawk chalk on the other hand then that's completely yeah, that's, that they should stop yeah. doing that in Atlanta. but anyway um you know anyway. what i should do mm. i should do when they announce the name like let's say they announce the name like months and months from now yeah I just have you very awkwardly say the name of the new, and then just go like the Cleveland, Madonna. Cleveland Spiders are now a part of the. <laughs> it's funny because no, one of the names that people are looking at because way back in the eighteen hundreds, in the or like the early part of the twentieth century, the name of the Cleveland uh, AL Ball Club was the Cleveland Spiders, and oh. like. 
That's rad. Like, Cy Young played for the Cleveland Spires. And it would be really cool if they brought that one back. Because you are not offending any, like, you know, racial group or anything. You're not even offending spiders. Spiders would be like, yeah, that's cool. Go us. The the only thing you're going to piss off are people who have uh, arachnophobia. Exactly. Like, we're we're getting, like, you know, we're, we're getting back to just awesome sports team names in the Big Four. Like, we've had... You know, the New Orleans Pelicans. We have the Vegas Golden Knights. We now have the Seattle nice. Kraken. Like, Damn. we're getting back to the awesome ones, and so the Spiders would be really cool. Yes. Anyway, back to this Looney Tunes yes. cartoon we should be <laughs> yeah. fucking talking about. I'm sorry. I, I love talking about baseball, and so I had to tangentialize yeah. there, especially about Bill yeah. Dick. So, um, All right, so this was directed by Fish Feeling, written by Michael mm-hmm. Maltese. Yes. Also, and the only note I have is that this is not Daffy Duck in Hollywood. No. Um, but I will I will add here because I like to add a little um, voice actor notes when there are different ones. So uh, the voices in this cartoon are done by Mel as well as Sarah Berner and Richard Bickenback. Richard Bickenback, if you'll recall from our episode on Swooner Crooner, did the Bing Crosby voice for them in that one. Matter of fact, I believe they lifted the exact audio file from Swooner Crooner from Bing showing up in this cartoon. But we will get yeah. to that when we get to it. Yeah, because it shows up like five seconds in this. All right, yeah, so. it's, it's when my dream comes <laughs> you know. And they bring that back from Swinnerkorn, which, you know, it's fine. I get it. You had it, you use it. It's all good. You didn't have to call them back in and make them pay, and pay them more money. I get it. All right. So, short begins, a bus arrives in Hollywood, or Hollywood and yes. and there Sorry. It's it's the start of party in the USA. Uh, the hopped f- off the plane to LAX. What, what the fuck? Anyways, <laughs> it seems like a it Miley fits. Cyrus reference, really. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm hip. I'm with it. I'm with. I'm cool really. with the kids. Um. Also, they're just wolves there. So yeah. I guess. So I guess in this version, she would have hopped off the plane at LAX and then immediately get mauled by wolves. It happened. <laughs> 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 I throw my hands up, hailing the police. <laughs> I throw my hands up, saying, "Help me!" There's wolves attacking. The murder in the USA. Um, hey, uh, I'm all in the USA, Jordan. And also, those wolves apparently came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> Evidently. Um. <laughs> but it's okay. Hi, Miley is good in a situation where a bunch of um, a bunch of wolves are there because she was born to run. She don't belong to anyone. Uh, right. All right. So I'm gonna keep referencing songs. At least it's not another chicken pun. All right. So Daffy Duck shows up in Hollywood. Right. He's happy to be here. <laughs> Just true. He's happy to be here, especially for Lauren Bacall. And Lauren Bacall. Woohoo! I love you! I adore you! I love how, like, both Bugs and Daffy are just horny for Lauren Bacall. To be fair, Lauren Bacall in 1946 was, like, really good looking. And that's, I mean, because both of these are 1946. And 45 was, like, you know, when she was doing To Have and To Have Not and The Big Sleep and doing all of these, like, really big movies. And so she was this, you know, beauty of the cinema at that time. So, of course, they're lusting after her. She was gorgeous. Yes. So, Daphne arrives at Warmer Brothers Pictures. Yes. Which, um, I I forgot to mention this. They did Warmer Brothers in Uh, Acrobat's Daughter. Uh, I believe they did do that, so. Yes. So, there's a security guard there. And... It's an it's an impression of a Joe Besser type. You can tell because he says things like "You're such a sneak." It's. I mean, I liked funny. this Mel characterization as well because, like, you know, it's just a lot of very big, sort of dopey characterizations, and you could you could just you know not so fast, you know, th- things like that, and you know, Mel's given it at all. Yeah. So, so Daffy just humps Adam and he walks back into the studio. And then off screen he gets beaten up and gets thrown 
through Tutorial Mailbox, which is which it's a very nice kind of animation from Daffy sliding across the street to the mailbox, getting indented yes. with his uh, figure. That was very nice, I like that. And then we get a celebrity showcase of uh, Betty Davis, Tarzan again. I like that. I like him like Johnny Weissmuller literally swinging into the studio. It's great. Yeah. And then Daffy tries some impressions. Hey, just up as Charlie Chaplin, then um, then Jimmy Durante, and then Bing Crosby. When my dreamboat comes home. There's that audio from Swooner Croner. When my dreamboat comes home. Yes, and then he gets kicked out each time. And I like the next one. And then... This is great. Yes. Then Daffy dresses up as an Academy Award. Mm -hmm. He just paints himself yellow. He's going to JL. To the studio. Yes. And <laughs> I love the twist of the It's like, oh, he thinks he'll get away with it. And he opens up a thing. And there's a button that says, use for disguise of Academy Oscar. For gate crashers posing as Oscars. That is so specific. That's lovely. I, I love it. It's that. very frizz as well. And, and, yeah, then we just get a lovely animation of like a desk popping up. And then there's a mechanical hand, which is very lovely animated, just sneaking around, thinking what to do. And then he just kicks the glove, kicks Daffy out of the studio. This is actually a prequel is, to Yellow Submarine as well. Uh, and then we get in, in, into the yeah. chase. Uh, this is a lot of quick eggs, but, you know, it all. Well, pretty much works, you know, but this is where we lead to Daffy disguising as a, a Warner Brothers tour guide, right? Yes. And, and then there's an easy gag of, of him just trying to fit the guy, fit the cop into the, the, the tram and going, okay, now we're all full up. But, you know, he's passing some, you know, homes of celebrities and, you know, there's some, e some easy jokes. You know, Ab and Costello have their own homes and Sheridan has a bunch of bear traps in front of her door and Jimmy Durante's got caught in one. Um, yes. What was the which um, two Jimmy Durante gags in one short? The iron was hot. Iron was hot. Yeah. And, and then uh, Daffy just talks about the security guards. Like, look at the security guard. Of course, he stands yeah. up straight, presenting himself. Yeah. And uh, Daffy was like, the best thing about him is that he's so strong. Like, you can strike it, smash it. Smack it. <laughs> he just keeps slapping him on the head until he reacts. That's great. Yeah. Love it. And then there's a bit of an odd cut from uh, them running off to our next gag. Yeah. But the next joke is great. It is. I love this next gag. Here. Yes. Is this Jack Benny trying to get an Oscar out of a skull crane? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. It's mean, but it's great. Yeah, just Jack Benny, like, cause like he's about to get it from the machine, yeah. and then Daffy and the security guard bang into him. He yeah. loses the Oscar, and he <laughs> says, "Now I'll never get one of those Oscars," Aww. which uh, he never did. That's awful. That's that's mean. Yes, let's play some really bad sad violin. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, this is the world's smallest violin. <laughs> 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 for the record, for those of you at home, that is, I think, Mark and I's single favorite SpongeBob gag from when we were growing up. It's a time between that and You're Good. From yes, that from Shanghai. Yeah. You're good. You're good. You're good. Montage. Cut back. You're good. You're good. You're good. And stop. And then Daffy disguises himself as a Hollywood director. No, as a producer type. You know, and I, I love this bit right, where he right, starts right, flattering right. the cop and he's like, and he goes, what, what's Errol Flynn got that you haven't got? Then looks at the audience and goes, don't answer that. <laughs> now, there's one of three things they could be referring to with this one. I mean, either they're referencing Errol Flynn's rumored drug and alcohol habits, uh, supposedly being a German agent in the war, bisexuality, any of those three, really. Uh, but... <laughs> It's a great gag. I like that one. And then he just trusses the cop up, puts makeup and grease on him and paint and throws him into the studio. 
and then just tells him to go over yeah. a wall and then he just does a huge fall and i just i just love the little shrug he has as he's falling like several stories and yeah. eh, figures you know. and then we fade to uh daphne and the guard running around yeah. like a piece of scenery yeah and then the guard just stops goes over gets a, another piece of scenery and of course daffy runs through it's it it's a wily coyote guard tries to it's very wily that way. Yeah. Did we mention this was a, a, a multi-script? Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, Daffy thinks that he's gone away. Yeah. It's okay. I'm going to finish the rest of my tour. Of course, that's when the guard gets him for good. Yeah. And Daffy just asks, look, I'm just here to see stars. Now, we all knew where this was going, right? Like, <laughs> like the second he says, I'm just here to see stars... And the guard's like, oh, want to see stars, huh? Yeah. And yeah. I have seen Hooper and Roger Rabbit. I know yeah, how this goes. Yeah, it's an easy joke, um, but still. Yeah. So the guard proceeds to beat the crap out of him. I I guess Staffy would be in support of uh, a cab. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, 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 he hates cops. I, I don't blame him. Uh, so the guard throws him out he lands in a garbage pail and of course he sees actual stars and one of them is, has shorts on one of the stars I don't know why that's a very odd thing hmm. I don't know did, 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 did I, I didn't get that one but I did get a baby not Huey was it, it? It was baby something. Like it, 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 it was one that showed up in Hollywood steps out. Actually, they made a joke about it. Eh, whatever. And then of course, he sees one of them is Anne Sheridan. Yeah. So then Daffy kisses the star, and he goes woohoo woohoo. As does the star, and that's where we end. It's an okay ending. It's fine. Yeah. Damn it. You know, this short had me, like, as soon as the chase, as soon as that Oscar gag happened, this short had me. It really did. But it lost me with kind of loose editing. It could have been a little yeah. more tighter. That being said, the gag work is fantastic. Yeah. Um, there's great Hollywood satire that honestly reminded me of, like, Animaniacs, in a way. Like, especially that... Uh, Jack Benny joke that was very reminiscent of like something they do in uh, Animaniacs. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah, I, I can see Animaniacs pulling from this one. Um, I mean, this did have better gag work than Hollywood, Deputy Duck in Hollywood, um, and more of a structure to it. But similarly, this one was pretty loose, kind of one-sided. Um, it did a lot that worked. I think it was closer to like a, a good modern golden age Looney Tunes cartoon than a lot of the other ones we were doing. But it just had some moments where, it, it, especially the ending, where it was like a bit too easy rather than actually being subversive. So it's fine. Works. Does some good gag stuff. Yeah. Didn't completely wow me. Yeah. I'm giving this a, a, a 3.5 out of 5. Amplitude. You see, there we go. We got you out of your three hole. I'm also giving it a 3.5 out of 5. Yeah. It gets the job done. All right. So, for next week's episode, we are going to be reading. Damn. Look, you have to eat your broccoli sometimes. And this no, is. No, 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 no. Actually, no. Um, these are two sorts based on literature. Um, the ones we're going to be covering are Deduce, you say. Hide and Hair, yes, and the Great Piggy Bank Robbery, yeah, which is apparently the best goddamn Looney Tune short ever made according to the internet. Like, like five, five, ten years, the internet's really gone focused on the Great Piggy Bank Robbery. But, but also, these are all ones that like I grew up with, and you know, I watched a lot as a kid. And so, you know, it'd be interesting to see to get back get back to these and, and compare them to uh, some of the texts of that time. Yeah. All right. That is the end of this week's show. 
If you'd like to keep up with us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mark Halem, 1995. And you can follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast or give your thoughts for next week's episode, you can follow at that underscore loony or type in the podcast title, We Are the First Result. You can also find this podcast wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes your Apple Podcasts, your Google Podcasts, your Spotify Podcasts, your Player FMs, Anchor. We should still be out there on all of those, you know, and keep listening to us where you've been listening to us. All right, so until next week, I'm Mark. And I'm Jordan. And, uh, oh, I thought of one more. Inglorious Roosters. Good night, everybody.